Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. Today, we are on another day destination of our training camp tour we're heading to the big apple we're heading to new york city to check in on another major quarterback zach wilson so far we have talked about justin fields we've talked about trey lance now we're going to check in on zach wilson but we're not just going to check in with zach wilson we're going to check in on all of the young stars young budding stars there in new york with a new coaching regime as well we're going to talk about what they're implementing what we've seen on the field so far what we've um, heard from them their quotes over the offseason so we'll talk wilson uh, we'll talk elijah Vera tucker elijah moore michael carter from this draft class but i also want to Make sure to check in on guys like Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis, LaMichael P. Ryan, and even some Quinnen Williams as well. What could be coming up with him this season? So on with me now is a very good friend of this podcast. He's here, he's here to help us get caught up on everything happening with the New York Jets. It is Connor Rogers from Bleach Report. Also covers the Jets specifically with the Badlands podcast. Connor, thank you so much for joining me once again, my friend. Oh, brother, always good to talk to you, man. I feel like we need an hour before we do the show just to kind of BS around. So now, now we get now we get down to business. Yeah, now we're warmed up. Now we, we, we did the pod before the pod, and now here's the actual pod. All right, so let's start talking about Zach Wilson. I, look, you watched him in college. I watched him in college. The people watched him in college. He's all about dramatics. He's all about the flair. He's the confident guy. But he, did he have to make us wait until the very end to sign his rookie contract? I mean, like, what was, okay, what was holding him up from getting in the building? What was he so worried about? Well, a little bit of a, a Jets problem as well. It seemed like, you know, each side had to give something here when you look at it. And for, the Jets, it, you know, they it sounded like two things where they didn't want to put offsets. Um, you know, the Jets wanted the offsets in the deal and Wilson's agency, you know, was probably sitting there going, well, uh, if we're going to have offsets in this deal because there weren't any in Trevor Lawrence's deal, you got to give something back. Mm. And that would be paying that signing bonus up front. So in the end, it, t- it took a little longer than anybody would like to see. Uh, Zach gets a signing bonus within 15 days. The Jets get their offsets in the contract. Now we get to watch football. Oh man, the Jets couldn't just be happy picking their next potential franchise quarterback. They just had to. They, they just never had make to anything throw easy, dude. I, that's very true. But which it gives you plenty to talk about, which is why you're here in the industry. And for that, we very much thank them. So okay, let's talk about some expectations for Zach Wilson. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts because we spoke to you a little bit before the draft, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on Zach Wilson, just the prospect that he was. And the Jets were sitting there at number two overall, right? And they had their pick. They had their pick of any quarterback other than Trevor Lawrence, and that could have even meant moving back down in the draft, which they opted not to do. They thought that Zach Wilson was that worth it. In your mind, is he that worth it? What'd you think of him as a prospect going into the draft? Yeah, I loved him. I had him as the number three overall player, um, number two quarterback. So it makes sense that, you know, they took Zach Wilson after going through the process and making sure they're good with the medical. They're good with the the person, the IQ, everything. And, and this was a loaded quarterback class. You can make the argument at this pick that, you know, it could have been Zach. It could have been Trey Lance. You can make a case for Justin Fields. And I think 
all three of those players would have a fair argument to be selected here because I think all three can be high-level NFL quarterbacks. But when you just look at Zach in this offense, you know, they obviously love his athleticism, love his arm talent, the ball placement, um, you know, just the vertical passing ability, how, how twitchy he is, how loose the mechanics are, how everything is just, you know, the ball's out quickly, the quick release, the arm angles. Uh, they feel like he can execute the timing that this offense requires and getting through his progressions and with the pinpoint throws. So, and a lot of that at the intermediate level, of course, as well. And, and how they're going to use Corey Davis, how they're going to use Elijah Moore, uh, how Michael Flores first time as a play caller is going to, is going to call things. You're going to probably see a lot of uh, what San Francisco does and green Bay and, and a little bit of what Tennessee was doing with Arthur Smith. So I think that they just felt like they can build an identity with Zach. And I think that, you know, with with him, I don't really have any questions about talent. I thought he was a superstar for BYU. I think that he's somebody that is even more dangerous out of structure than within structure. He he's definitely got that, you know, gunslinger mentality that sure. I'll take a risk. I'll let my guys go make a play. I'll put the ball where I think only they can get it. And he's probably going to learn the hard way at times that NFL corners have way better ball skills than college corners, especially right. the teams that BYU played. But I think overall, they saw the talent and the mental makeup that he can thrive within their system. And on the flip side, also play out of structure where, you know, that's where the what the big dogs do in the NFL right now, whether it's Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers has been doing it forever. Patrick Mahomes, you know, obviously Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. And I'm not saying Zach is going to be one of those guys right away, but you can see the trajectory with him of why he could be a star. I feel like this might be a question that might be better suited for after his rookie year, but I'll ask it here anyways. When you look at this Jets roster, and we'll focus on the offensive side of the ball as, as we, we we focus on Zach Wilson, they made some additions, and I really liked how aggressive I felt like the Jets were to just get better on offense, knowing that that's the way they needed things to be. Where is this roster still needing a little bit of an upgrade? And when you kind of project that one to three year future here as Zach Wilson starts to come into his own, where are you hoping that the Jets continue to invest or maybe make new investments around him to give him the talent he needs to achieve that potential? Like you said, that was a number three overall player for you last year. Right. They're always going to stack the deck on the offensive line. And I think under Joe Douglas, they've done a nice job of beginning to do that. And you can kind of see his team now. This was a a very, very poor unit that he inherited. And now he's flipped that over to Mekhi Becton at left tackle, Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard, two cornerstone players that the team expects to be there for the next eight to 10 years. Of course, the late signing of Morgan Moses on the right side, which is a really, really nice addition over there. Yeah, Connor McGovern at center that had a down year, but when you look at what was around him, it's not surprising when you see a center struggle in a new landing spot next to two you know, guards that, quite frankly, were poor. So I think they'd still like to get better at right guard in the future. I think it's a watch-and-see year for McGovern, a trial year where – you could see the interior of this offensive line besides Vera Tucker look different in the future, but they love what they have at tackle right now. And, and this is an offense that, you know, at the at the top of this, I mentioned the Niners, Green Bay, and Tennessee. Well, you, you notice how vital the tight ends can be in those offenses, especially when you look at a, an absolute freak in George Kittle in San Francisco. Right. 
I, I think they, you know, they don't have that guy on the roster right now. They don't even have a serviceable starter on the roster at tight end right now. So they feel good about their wide receivers. Corey Davis, uh, Elijah Moore, you know, Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, and even Keelan Cole, they really, really like. They're always going to be a running back by committee approach. You know, Michael Carter is going to kind of be that 1A guy, I think, pretty quickly. And they probably will keep adding to this group over the next two years. I'm not saying first rounders, but they'll look to get value adds and kind of build a, a three-headed uh, backfield there. But for me, it's it's still the interior of the offensive line and definitely tight end in the future. But, you know, I, I've watched, Trevor, I've watched a lot of awful, awful situations for rookie quarterbacks with the New York Jets. And I've also watched a, a dang good one with Mark Sanchez in 2009. They had, you know, one of the best rushing attacks I've really seen in, in with the green and white. And of course, an incredible offensive line. So I think that Zach, it's not on the Sanchez level level, but it's, it's much closer to that side than the Sam Darnold side. Last one about the offense revolving around Wilson, and then I do want to get into a couple of those positions that you lately mentioned there, but I, I want to focus on Mike LaFleur because he's got the famous Matt last name, right? He's got the the, the name that he shares with Matt, his, his brother, and he was under Kyle Shanahan, and I mean, like, these are two really great backgrounds to have as an offensive coordinator. How excited are you for him to really take over the reins as an offensive coordinator, and I know it's his first time there, but do you think that this is going to be the right fit for Zach Wilson here with the Jets? Whew, I'm cautiously optimistic. And now, <laughs> you know, I, I like to say that I am somewhat of a level-headed person in the media on the grand scale. When it comes to selling myself on Jets offensive play callers, <laughs> this is not where I am overly reliable because I've found a way to convince myself whether it's, oh my God, well, Chant Gailey actually had a great 2015 year with Fitz, Marshall, and Decker, but you know, whether it's Marty Morningwake, I, I was never on at the board with Adam Gase, so I'll, I'll absolve myself of that one. But I really, I really do think that he's had the right mentorship and you now you could even say bloodlines, but that he understands what works in today's NFL. And, and what I could say about Mike LaFleur, because right, without ever seeing the guy call a game, it's hard to say a lot. What I can say about LaFleur is he knows what he wants his offense to be. And the two years of Gase, I, I never knew. And many years, whoever was offensive coordinator under Todd Bowles, besides Chan Gailey, you know, they had John Morton, they had Jeremy Bates. I didn't really know what those teams wanted to be. With LaFleur, I get the sense that he understands they are going to be a run-heavy run wide they're going to be an outside zone you know particularly an outside zone heavy team that takes their shots off of play action and if you ask me I think that's doing right by a 22 year old quarterback in this league and I think Joe Douglas is a guy that knows how to go out and get pieces when you tell him what you need they want big fast athletic offensive linemen that can get out in front and they want receivers that can block and win in contested catch areas uh, of the field. So uh, that's why I'm cautiously optimistic that LaFleur, at a minimum, should develop into a serviceable offensive coordinator. Hey, he's coming over from San Francisco over the last two years, and 
a lot of people said if there was a perfect landing spot for Zach Wilson pre-draft, it would have been San Francisco. And a lot of that, yes, yeah, to do with Kyle Shanahan, but also the offense that they ran. That was Mike LaFleur. He was a big part of that. And so I think that that should get Jets fans excited as well. All right, so that's enough Wilson talk. We'll get into a couple of the other position battles. But before we get to that, got to remind people, the bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You guys can get the latest news, odds, info, whatever it is that you need for baseball, football, basketball, NHL, UFC, MMA, whatever you're trying to put money down on. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to finally get into the action yourself Head over to their website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus back on your first deposit. If you use the promo code LOCKED ON, that's one word, all caps, LOCKED ON. Bet online, your online sports book experts. More Jets talk with Connor coming up after the break. All right, so we got all of our Zach Wilson questions out of the way. Now I want to get to some of those offensive skill positions that Connor touched on a little bit in a couple of his answers, but specifically, I want to talk about Elijah Moore because going into the draft, everybody was talking about Elijah Moore. And here we are at the beginning of training camp, and guess what? Everybody's talking about Elijah Moore. Tell us, is the hype real for this guy? Because he had a very exciting final season with Ole Miss, but a lot of that production was force-fed. I mean, like he was the only dude in that offense. Do you think that he can still showcase a lot of those skills that we saw in an NFL offense here with the Jets. Yeah, and it sounds like he's already done it in OTAs and carried it into training camp, which is, you know, it's great for a guy that, you know, Trevor, over the years, I've seen a lot of receivers drafted by the Jets and kind of expected to be instant contributors or, or, you know, even saviors. And the list goes on of guys that have been thrusted into that spotlight and failed, whether it's due to, you know, I don't want to say lack of talent, but lack of of, of growing um, and then also injuries. And this goes on from Stephen Hill to Devin Smith to Chad Hansen and our Darius Stewart on and on and on it goes. And Elijah is so unique to me because he was not drafted to be necessarily this day one savior contributor. They went out and gave Corey Davis big time money. They used the second round pick on Denzel Mims last year, and it's not a different GM. It's the same GM that drafted him. You know, they they restructured Jamison Crowder. They made a very significant effort to make sure Jamison Crowder is here this year, and they went out and got Keelan Cole. If you told me, like, Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole, your top four receivers, I'm not saying it's great, but it's completely serviceable. Then they Elijah Moore, a player they loved, falls into their lap in the second round. I thought the Saints were going to take him. I had heard they were doing so much work on him. I I'm still can't believe he's not in New Orleans. And I just look at that situation and go, man, he's he's walked into a place where he's got a claw and scratch and earn every bit of these these reps. And he's already starting to see a little bit of first team action. He has a chemistry with the quarterback and they've done so much work away from the facility on their own that it's not surprising how they built this chemistry. And quite frankly, as much as those four I named are are serviceable starters Mm -hmm. for the Jets, he's just a totally different player. It's the speed. It's the ability with the ball in his hands. Elite hands. um, So such a good route runner. So quick. So sudden. I think that he really, really is everything that this offense was lacking in terms of a, a playmaker and a big time, 
you know, a threat, just a threat, find a way to get him the ball. Mm-hmm. I think he's everything that they were hoping for in that. And I think he's going to work his way into being the number two wide receiver of this team halfway through the year. Man, that's that's awesome to hear. And, and you know, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword or a two-sided coin, if you will, when you talk about guys who are force-fed a lot of production in college and, and you say to yourself, okay, well, how are they going to adjust not being that absolute go-to alpha in the NFL when it's probably a more diverse, more talented room? But at the same time, I think there's something to guys who just expect the ball, expect to catch it every time that comes their way. This is just natural. They've done it so many times. It's what they do. I think about O.J. Howard when he got to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Alabama never used this guy as, as a pass catcher. And guess what? When he got to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they tried to use him more, he wasn't used to it. And and I think that that probably could go into Elijah Moore's favor. The more they put on his plate, the more it will be natural for him to be a focal point of that offense. Uh, Let's go to the running back room here. We've got a fourth rounder in Michael Carter from this past draft. We've got a fourth rounder from last year's draft in LaMichael P. Ryan. We've got a third rounder from couple of drafts ago in Tevin Coleman, but it sounds like Michael Carter's really impressing. Do you think that he could be the RB1 for this team early in the season? Yeah, if you're looking for one, right? I I think you got to keep the perspective that one might not exist in this offense in terms of they might just simply be happy with divvying the touches up uh, pretty evenly where there's a 1A and 1B. And I think Michael Carter is locked into one of those two roles. And I think Carter will probably have the more memorable moments because of the pass catcher he is. Now, when you look at it, I really like Ty Johnson's fit in this offense. I I think he's a, you know, he's got a little bit of that younger Tevin Coleman in his game with that outside speed. So I look at it like this. I think that Tevin Coleman has just not been healthy in recent history. It's hard to really bet much on him. They love Michael Carter. He's going to be given every shot to be the dude of this backfield, the 1A. Ty Johnson, I think, is going to give be given every shot to be in the committee. And then, of course, the Michael Pirine, who the lack of burst doesn't really fit the system, but I think they like his reliability and pass pro where he he sticks as the third running back on the roster. Kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of player, which uh, traditionally I wouldn't see LaFleur gravitating to in this mm-hmm. scheme, but I think this this year he just sticks by default. And, and this is you know this is one of those areas on the offense. It's a work in progress, but the guy I think you want to own in, in fantasy leagues or have any kind of investment into is Michael Carter because I, I, truly, I truly think LaFleur views him as you know, LaFleur was in Atlanta with Shanahan as well, and they think this guy is Devonta Freeman. Mm, that's great. Man, I, I I love Carter's vision, and, and I feel like it's just only a matter of time before he really starts to impress that coaching staff with how well he sees flow within the offensive line with the linebackers, how he sees space before it opens up. He had some of the best vision of this running back class this past year, so it's great to hear that he's been hitting the ground running. One other guy I want to ask you about before we get on to some second and third year players, Hampson Dean. You know, he was drafted as a DB, played safety at Florida State, but I see him on the depth chart as a linebacker. Are they playing That's right. him at linebacker now? That's right. Him and Jamie and Sherwood will both be making the move to linebacker. So they they kind of did the old um, let's draft two two giant strong safeties 
and we know they play so much in the box anyway. Well, now we're just putting it to their position on paper where you're playing in the box now all the time. So, you know, Nasrul Dean's a guy that it's been quiet in camp for the defense yet because they've only had one day in pads. So it's truly hard to get a grasp on, you know, what who's who's, you know, leading the crop over there, who's taking charge of who's going to get playing time. But Nasrul Dean has every chance to be uh, the starting weak side linebacker on this team. Man, that's exciting. I know. Like, I mean, coming I, I back never, from that I ACL, never that we would be there, yeah. but that that is yeah. really exciting. Yeah, it is. and he, you know he's he's such an easy player to root for. Such a good career at Florida State, coming off the ACL. I think when you look at it, um, you know they they love these hybrid players in this scheme because they got a front four where it's 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 pretty obvious the identity of the front four. They're like, hey, get up field, get after the quarterback, and, and then when you look at from. You know, the corners that they're going to obviously play a lot of cover three, a lot of quarters coverage. Mm-hmm. They have Marcus May at safety, who's kind of a staple. But the middle of the field, you got to be able to run and chase. You got to be sure. able to, and yeah. they, they think CJ Mosley, CJ Mosley weighing 230, said he hasn't weighed that since Alabama. So, you know, CJ Mosley's like, oh man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be running around like a madman. They signed Gerard Davis, who they like his athleticism. I know he had a tough go of it in Detroit, but they really like his athleticism. So, that third linebacker, uh, is just going to be a converted safety at this point, most likely. I mean, look, everybody had a rough time in Detroit. Matt Patricia stinks. I, I don't know how else to say it. So, uh, yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was not a good look for him. Wait, I, I, if, if I might have missed this, but I don't think I did. Are they beefing up Hamza a little bit? Because he he weighed in at his pro day at two fifteen, which I'm looking at mock draftable right now, and that is, yeah, what you would think. It's the one percent of any outside linebacker in the NFL. So they got to be beefing him up a little bit, right? Get you on yeah. a get get you on a get you on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at night kind of diet man he's got like pass rusher arms too so you know it's there i think he could play at 220 225 uh if he really wanted to do the old gallon of milk and two pb and j's he could play at 230 <laughs> i would not recommend that man oh man my my bulking up days are over I, there's just no no <laughs> point in say, that spoken uh, like you, you had the you had the inflection in your voice like you have done that one before oh man just no need for that so <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, look, he's, you know, he's probably going to put on some weight and he's, he's got the length, which they love. They love that he can probably run and cover with some of the tight ends and running backs in the division. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting transition. I know they liked him and Sherwood a lot for their special teams ability. Sure. Um, But they're, they're going to have opportunities at least in sub packages to get on the field. All right, two more players I want to ask you about. One of them is Denzel Mims. What's the outlook for Denzel Mims here? You know, you talked about Elijah Moore potentially being wide receiver too in this offense. They've signed Corey Davis. Denzel Mims is still there. Jamison Crowder is still there. They've also got a guys, guys like Keelan Cole and plenty of wide receivers along that depth chart. Where does Denzel Mims fit? What did he need to do better last year that you're hoping he does better this year? Oh, man, you know, it's it's tough because it's been a tough start for him in camp. And, and, you know, I I haven't been around it in OTAs or camp. But just when a guy's working with, you know, third team a lot and second team a lot, when you thought he should be ascending instead. Yeah, it's you know, and I think my my take on Mims is it's a it's an availability issue. It's not an ability issue. I think the flash is once again availability. He missed so much time last year. But when he played, he made a lot of nice plays, whether it was in contested catch situations, run after catch situations, uh, the big body he doesn't have to separate to be open. And I think that coming into OTAs, I know he had dealt with a, an illness at some point and then he missed some practice time. And then when he got back on, he was working with the twos. 
And it's kind of carried over into training camp that way. So the, the real honesty, the real clarity on the MIM situation, it's two things for me. One, it almost feels like someone's going to have to get hurt in front of him for him to be a, you know, playing starter reps. Two, I think that it's hard to judge Mims when they haven't been in pads that much yet because he does his best work from the physical side of the game as a run blocker. Uh, once again, w- winning the ball above the rim. So I, you know, it's it's unfortunate that one of the not so optimistic storylines coming out of Jets OTAs and camp is that you know Mims, whether it's a fit issue, whether it's an availability issue, he's kind of looking up at not just Corey Davis not just Jamison Crowder, not just Elijah Moore now, but potentially Keelan Cole as well. That to me is a little bit of a red flag. And I love this player in the draft. So, you know, we have a very interesting preseason ahead where Mims has some catching up to do. All right, last question before I get you out of here. We got to talk about Quinn and Williams, the former number three overall pick of the Jets a couple of years ago. Had a slow start to his career. Rookie year, played in 13 games, started nine, only had two and a half sacks. But last year, played 13 games once again, but started all 13, got himself seven sacks, two forced fumbles. This year, he's playing on a pretty nice defensive line. They got Carl Lawson, they got Sheldon Rankins, they got John Franklin Meyer, Vinnie Curry, Kyle Phillips. It's all there for him. What are we expecting here from Quinton Williams this season? I mean, as long as he's healthy and he's coming, he's, he's you know, coming off an injury foot related where it might be a little bit of a slow start. And and a lot of his slow rookie year was due to nursing an injury. I I mean, this guy is the real deal. And and he really, you know, I know he had all the Fletcher Cox comparisons coming out of Alabama. I don't know if he's going to be Fletcher Cox year three, but can he be something close to it? The talent is there and the production was on the field his second year. And even more important, Trevor is that he's got the dogs next to him to kind of help out, right? on the defensive line, if you're a one-man show, you're going to get double and triple teamed and you're going to get erased from the stat sheet. Now, you can't do that with Carl Lawson next to him. You can't do that with Sheldon Rankins next to him. John Franklin Myers really, really turned it on at the end of last year. Bryce Huff has been a nice surprise at edge after being undrafted. I thought he should have been uh, you know, a day three pick, and he's been a really nice UDFA fine for them. And like you said, Vinny Curry, when he's ready, week two of the season is another threat off the edge. So Quinton Williams has one thing going against him. That's that he's coming off injury. But if if he's good to go, like Salah thinks he will be in a week or two, that won't be a problem. And a couple big things going for him. One, he's an ascending young talent that was just phenomenal in year two. Number two, the talent around him is as good as it's ever been. And, and he's going to thrive thanks to seeing some one-on-one looks. Number three, this is a scheme that was made for Quinn and Williams. It's pin your ears back, get upfield, wreak havoc, shoot gaps, beat the guy in front of you and get after the quarterback. Less thinking, more doing. I I don't think there's a player on this roster, including Zach Wilson, that Robert Sala is more excited for. Hey, uh, Fletcher Cox didn't make the Pro Bowl until his fourth year. He got nine and a half sacks that year. That was a career high. We still got time. We still got time for Quinton, but I will say that Fletcher Cox... He played all 16 games in those three seasons leading up to that. So we got to make sure that Quinn Williams is on the field. I'm very excited to see that as well. Connor Rogers, he's from Bleach Report. He covers the Jets for the Badlands podcast. Connor, thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, always good talking to you, brother. Let's do it again soon. All right, there we go, folks. Three training camp tours in the books for this week. We got one more coming up this week. We're heading down to Jacksonville. That's right. 
We're talking about Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars draft class this year. And we're going to talk about some young guys too, because it's a very young roster. We want to check in on how some of these guys are doing. That's coming up tomorrow. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.